think about these 18-year-old boys about poised to go into Gaza. They're, they're ready to go, and as soon as their sergeant says, we're going in, they're going to go in. And you can imagine the before they go in, there's a lot of dancing, a lot of singing, and, and they get it pumped up with trust in Hashem. And hopefully they, it carries them as they go in. But when they go in, they're going not just in physically, they're going inside themselves. It's a, it's a whole different... You're living in, it's, it's, I, I Mark Shem, don't know of this, and maybe many of the soldiers don't know of it either, but going in to a situation of, of total devotion to Hashem, of giving your life for the sake of protecting Jewish people and risking your life literally to do this, is, is really going in. I mean, it's not... Um, talking about the soldiers? the soldiers, yeah. When they go in, they're going not just inside enemy territory, mention it themselves. They're going inside themselves on a different, different level. Um, the Torah says that if a Jew is killed because they're Jewish, so they are in the highest places of Gan Eden. That's, that's called, someone who dies for the sake of Hashem's name, is, it means they died because they're Jewish. There's a difference, though, between dying because you're Jewish and giving your life to protect other Jews. We know in Halacha, if there is a positive commandment, let's say to have a circumcision, and there's a negative commandment, let's say not to uh, cut, make a cut on Shabbat, so the positive commandment of the circumcision overrides the negative commandment of Shabbat. That's how it always is that the positive overrides the negative. So in a similar way, there is a passive giving your life to Hashem, you're letting go, and there is a, that's a more of a negative, passive thing, you're letting go of your life, but then there is going to be victorious, going to, be, to go for the sake of Hashem, to be victorious in battle to protect the Jewish people. It's a different energy. It's not, we're going to let ourselves be killed for the sake of Hashem, it's we're going to be victorious for the army, for the honor of Hashem, for the protection of Jewish people, we're going to win the war. We'll be charged for that. You'll sit down for the share a few minutes. So, on a, on a personal level, um, we're not called on for that kind of battle. But at the same time, we all care. We all dive in. And we all know that... that uh, it's a miracle. It's it's an obligation to do, do to to uh, to mitzvah. mitzvah. It's a war. That's a mitzvah. It's an obligation, and it's it's something that um, it's it's not really um, okay for me to talk about it. But I'm I'm talking about it because I I want to give voice to something which I think is important that we should that should echo in us in a similar way that that's echoing there at least to some degree, the idea of going in. Let me I'll give you an example. There is a Chabad rabbi in Neve uh, Afakim, I think is the name of the area. Afakim? So he, um, his name is Rabbi uh, Elias. So this year, before Yom Kippur, he got permission from the city to make an open-air Yom Kippur service. He it outside, and he did it in public, and, um, and it was supposed to start at 7 o'clock, let's say, so half hour before, he took up the chairs, and it's ready, it's open air service, it's free, and anyone can come in, you know, beautiful thing. But there were protesters out there that day, and the protesters, 
not just against the government, but somehow Judaism gets lumped into the government too. And so, so they were, they're not happy with the chairs, and they weren't happy with the setup, and they started, and they started messing up the whole thing. And it became like sort of a skirmish that they're between the, the worshippers, one wanted to pray, and these guys were like standing around, like, no, we're not letting anyone come in here. This is, this is our city. You guys can't make this gender-separate, prehistoric, primitive prayer service in our city. He had the legal right to do it, but you know what? He didn't want to deal with you know with this whole negative energy. But one one guy who's not religious, he goes in there. He's like, no, no, they they need to do this prayer service. Like, and this guy, you know, he, he has his big sign, you know, democracy on his shirt, you know, in Aces Kilshavana, his big sign, democracy, and and he's like, no, I want to do Yiskor today. It's Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. I want to do Yiskor for my dad. I want to say the, the the memorial prayer for my dad. It's Yom Kippur. They're like, what are you talking about? This, they can't do this in our city. He says, he says listen, I'm Chiloni, I'm not religious just like you guys are, but this Yom Kippur, I want to do Yizkor. Like, no, you're not Chiloni. Ata Chiloni Muzuyaf. You are a fake Chiloni. You're saying Chiloni, you're not really Chiloni. How dare you say you're Chiloni? If you're Chiloni, you'll be on our side. What, what, what wise words, Chiloni Muzuyaf. You know, fake Chiloni. And the uh, same is with us. Same as with us. We're, we're, we see in the world today, you know, this, this resurgence, this rejuvenation of all kinds of Jews who are, I, I'm getting phone calls from people I haven't spoken to in, in, in months and years, and they just, they're, the non-Jews around them are reminding them, you're Jewish, you're Jewish, how do you feel, what's going on? And every day they're like thinking, yeah, I'm Jewish, I'm Jewish, and what does it mean? And people from religious families, not religious families, but who haven't been in touch with this stuff in a long time. But like, so there's a lot of Jews coming out of the woodwork, so not, the Gentiles are minding them, they remind themselves about it because they feel connection. But also, I think that the soul is a little, is usually, you know, we talk about the neshama and the soul, we think about something which is like otherworldly, heebie-jeebie, if you will. It's not so close to the surface. The neshama is not, we don't identify with the neshama as much as we should. You know, the Alt Rebbe says in Tanya that our reality is our, our neshama, is our soul, but he also says that our, our humanness is our animal soul. He, he, adam, So ordinarily, we, 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 we look at ourselves as, as, as a natural human being, and the neshama, yeah, we also have a neshama, we also have a soul. We don't look at it as the Rebbe wants us to, that that's our real identity. We don't. But I think that it's, it's a lot closer to the surface at this time, all the Jewish people. I'm not saying that we don't... Yeah, yesterday I got a call from a young man. Unfortunately, he has this uh, porn addiction. And, um, and he, was, he was sober for a while. He was doing really good. And, um, and he said to me, but I just got this... this, this, this what's the word? Uh, relapse. I just had a relapse. And, and, and the relapse is worse than I ever had. And I want to try to figure out why I had this kind of relapse. This relapse was... You know, in his addiction itself, there's different levels of, of, of this kind of addiction... And he went to a lower level than he ever was sunk before. Why did I do that? I said to him, listen, don't try to delve into your mistake. Delve into the Rambam. Look into the Rambam. Delve into the words of the Torah. Try to understand you're, you're a chassid and you learn Rambam. Did you, did you learn Rambam yet today? You don't learn Rambam. It says, you're not, don't try to delve into the Yitzhahar, into evil inclination. That's not you. Baruch Hashem, we put a filter on his phone and whatever, and we protected him from... From the from the from the um, danger that he was going through with his with his addiction, 
to, to the extent that he needed, Baruch Hashem, besides whatever other help he's going to help get, whatever. But the point I wanted to say was, in a moment, he felt, he, he, he messaged me later, he felt so much better. What, what, why, how to make him feel better? I told him, you're not the, 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 the uh, evil man with the addiction. You're a holy neshama, you're a holy chassid who learns Rambam. That's your, don't try to figure out Yitzhara, how to get there. Don't go there, don't go there. Identify with your re- reality. Today, Mordechai Yosef Feldman, Baruch Hashem, he took off from work today. He was learning Altar all day here. Why? He wants to help the Jewish people. So he spent all day learning Torah here. No, it's a beautiful thing. I, I think that it's, um, that it's closer, it's closer to this, our Neshamas. Just like there are a lot of Jews coming out of the work, our Jewishness, if we want it, it's there. Our, our Neshama, if we want it, it's, it's, it's more accessible. It's, it's, more, it's, it's more closer to us. Oh, I heard that story. So the, so the soldier can Yeah, the story you're referring to is a very amazing story. Yeah. I don't know if it was a, a restaurant. The way you said the, the, the guy said the story was, it was a restaurant? This guy brought, brought 300 meals for Israeli soldiers. Yeah, yeah. And the rabbi of the army is like, I need to know if these meals are kosher before we serve them. Wow. He, so the guy tells the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, I spoke to rabbi twice in my life. Yesterday, and you're the second. He says, what do you mean? Is that yesterday... I, I wanted to give meals to all the soldiers, but I was thinking, there are some soldiers who will not eat from my food because they're not kosher. So I went to their local rabbi, and I said to the rabbi, I want you to kosher my kitchen so that I could serve all the soldiers' meals. Yeah. And so I, I couldn't bear to think that there's a soldier who wouldn't eat from my, from my kitchen. So he, he koshered the whole kitchen just, just to serve these soldiers' meals. Unbelievable. Another story happened this week, a similar story. This was in Kikar Shabbat. It's an Israeli news program. Unbelievable story. The soldier, he said the story himself. It was Sunday morning, last week, day after Simchat Torah, and he personally was involved and saw face to face. And he next morning he wakes up, he's like, how could I pray to Hashem? He's a religious person. How could I talk to Hashem? How could I talk to Hashem? I don't think he's a Chabad guy, but this is what he said. I'm going to ask the Rebbe. I'm going to ask the Rebbe. I'm going to open the Rebbe's letters. He wrote Kodesh. I'm going to ask the Rebbe, so that how I could how could I die? Rebbe Makorepo, he says in the, in the interview. Rebbe Makorepo, what's going on, Rebbe? Just as an aside, um, you know Snopes, you know Snopes is Snopes is a fact checking thing. So Chabad also has their fact checkers. The letter that he's referring to, I don't believe exists. I don't. I have friends who know the whole Torah, but I think for sure either he misunderstood it, but the Rebbe answered him. What he said was from the Rebbe to him. I don't think you could find it in the Rebbe's letters, but this is what he said, meaning. He said he opened up his letter, and the way he's quoting the letter, I don't know the whole Torah, but my friends do, and they don't know the, where this letter is. So chances are that he misunderstood the letter, but boy, did he understand the letter. This is what he said happened. He wrote to the Rebbe, he said, how could I daven? How could I pray? I have no feeling. I have no desire to pray. I can't pray. He opens up the Rebbe's letters, and this is what he read. A Jew needs to pray. And if a Jew says that he has no desire to pray, he has no ability to pray, he should realize that he is an Ish Israel. He should realize that he's a Jew. And when you realize that he is a Jew, then he'll become a different person. And he'll be able to pray. And so the soldier said about himself, is, Oh, I can't pray because of my humanness, because of my, the way I feel. But I'm not just a human. I'm a Jew. And a Jew needs to pray. And that helped him. That like snapped him out of it. Like, yes, I need to pray because Jews pray. I mean, I wasn't him. But I, we all heard the news in the morning when a singing is shaved. Whatever. I don't go there. At a point, I want to go, go, go to going in. I want to go, the, the, the sergeant says, we're going in, 
And so to all of us, to think about the victory, not passive giving our lives, but victory and going into ourselves, going into our neshama, it's, it's closer to the surface than it's ever been before. It's a time of Mashiach and the neshama is, is there. The neshama is, 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 we can identify with it. It's, it's on the surface. And the key to the victory is in this week's Torah portion. As, every, as the Alter Rebbe said, live to live with the times. So the key to victory is also in this week's Torah portion. What does it say in this week's Torah portion? This week's Torah portion, read about how the whole world is going to be destroyed. And yeah, it's full of... Why is it going to be destroyed? That's interesting. That's one point I want to say. It was destroyed because of Hamas. So what does the word Hamas mean? <laughs> Hamas means corruption. It means a specific kind of sin. A sin that will make Hamas look like tzaddikim. What is... What is I mean, opposite. It's a sin that... If we wish that Hamas would only have this sin. What's the, what's the sin of Hamas? Rashi says, Hamas means that you are stealing. You're stealing. The Jewish, the, the people at that time did many worse things at that time. They were doing other things. They were doing worse things. But besides stealing, they were doing immorality. They were doing idolatry. Both which are, which are capital punishments in Judaism. And yet, why were they sentenced to be killed because of theft? Now, why is theft a big thing? So what they stole? Stole stealing that that's a big deal, but they're guilty of much of, of capital punishment and yet no the decree was because they stole. The answer is we know that um King David, King Solomon, they fought a lot of wars and they were successful, but, but they weren't as successful as King Ahav. Why was King Ahav wasn't such a great Sadiq? He wasn't the greatest Sadiq. Why was he successful? Because his soldiers got along with each other. They all were together. After the unity. They all were together. And so what the world was missing was what caused the world to need to have this purification process was the, um, the lack of unity. You know, after the flood is over, the Torah says there was a rainbow. Rainbow is a natural occurrence. When the light of the sun is reflected in the cloud, there's a... There's, because of lack of... A, right. Stealing is about, it ruins the unity. So... So therefore, what was the what did Hashem say to do? Go into a boat. Go into a boat. <laughs> There's a thousand ways to destroy the world. There's a thousand ways to be saved from the destruction of a flood. Why couldn't Hashem make a splitting of the Red Sea and it'll be someplace where there's no flood? According to I think the Ramban, I think the, the flood didn't affect Israel. There's so many. It could have been on a mountain where there is no flood. There's so many ways he could have taken him to Jupiter. It could have. There's so many ways he could have destroyed the world a different way. What did there's a flood and he's on a boat and they're both for a year? What does it mean? The answer is that since the, the reason the world was being destroyed was because of lack of unity, so the way to rectify the flood was to bring the whole world together. The the ark was not just a place of Noah and his family; it was the foundation of the future world, the new world that God was building. And therefore, there had to be in the ark a taste of the coming of Mashiach. In the ark, there were wild animals, and they got along. Rashi does say that they were, there were cages, there were different places each animal lived, but that's not why they survived. Because these cages weren't like the Bronx Zoo. These cages were like, whatever, makeshift cages. The reason why the animals survived was because in the ark, it was like the time of Mashiach when the wolf lived with a lamb, and everyone was, was just in harmony. That's physically what happened. And what is Noah doing? What's Noah doing in this, in, this, in, this, in, this, in this ark? He has to feed all the animals. He has to take care of everybody. 
Every animal eats at different times. Every animal eats different foods. And he is going, and you know, he, he was coughing blood. He was coughing blood because it was terrible. It was such hard work. And so this was the tikkun, this was rectification of the issue before the flood that Noah took care of the whole world, even the animals, not just people, even the animals, in a fatherly way, everyone needs to be taken care of. This, this was the, and the Rebbe actually mentioned that sometimes you could there be people in your life and you could be coughing blood because of them. Rahman al they really step on your toes. And you, have to, and, and you have to continue. You have to continue, and you can't, if you look, learn from Noah and to go forward, if to build, build the future, build the coming of Mashiach, and not, not going to be affected by, 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 by small external things. But the point is that um, there are a lot of people in our community which have. Um, left our community because of squabbles of this, squabbles of that, and arguments. I think it's a time for for people to let go of the small things. I think it's a time if if the soldiers are going in, I think we need to go inside ourselves and to let go of the uh, of the of the these minor things which are which are so petty, so little. The soldiers are going into Gaza. I think we should go into ourselves and let go of these 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 minor things. So as, as I mentioned, after the flood. It was a rainbow. What's the idea of the rainbow after the flood? So Chassidus asked a question, all the commentaries asked a question, a rainbow is a natural occurrence. And they, a rainbow is a natural thing. How come there are no rainbows before, before the flood? And the answer is, there are two kinds of clouds, two kinds of darkness, two things which obstruct the sun. The sun represents Hashem's light. And there's two kinds of situations. You could be in a situation where you're challenged, but you're able to like, feel like there's a purpose. You're able to feel like Hashem is guiding you somewhere. Then there's like a dark cloud, a cloud you can't see anything at all. And that is a really hard situation. That's what the world was like before the flood. People were completely corrupt. There was no way to, to see any, that Hashem was hiding himself to test us. You couldn't feel you were being tested. You felt like this is the reality. You know, in the comic books, they have this thing. Uh, there's a narrator in the comic books. Our hero was about to go into a trap, right? In life, there are no narrators. You, you, sometimes you're in a situation, the Hashem is challenging you, but you don't know you're being challenged. It's like, wow, it's impossible. That's a black cloud. That's a dark cloud. After the flood, the world was purified to such an extent that we knew, we were able to tell, that we were able to tell that when Hashem is challenging us that there's a purpose. Even though it's a challenge, Hashem, there's a light of the sun in the cloud. There's a rainbow. You could see that there, even though Hashem is giving you a challenge, you could tell it's possible to, to raise your head above the cloud and to see that there's a, that there's a purpose. And this is the purpose of why Hashem made the flood, that there should be this, this, this sense of unity in the ark, and this was what built the future world. There's another message we have over here. The Shabbat was in heaven, and I don't know what this means, but this is what's written in, in holy books, that the Shabbat in heaven on Friday afternoon, his activity in Friday afternoon in, in heaven mirrored the activity of Jews in this world. And so Jews in some poorer communities, what they do on Friday afternoon, they lived, the houses had the floor of the house was sand. So what they do on Shabbos, they dug for new white sand to put on the floor on Shabbos. So the Shpola Zayda is in heaven, and he is looking for new white sand for his place in heaven on, 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 on Friday, before Shabbos. And meanwhile, the Baal of soul is, is, is uh, visiting heaven, going through various chambers in heaven. He passes by, the home, the heavenly home, the Shpola Zayda. And the Baal Shanta said to the Shpola Zayda, we are suffering over here in this world, and you're looking for white sand for Shabbos? Are you out of your mind? Go down! Go down, we need you! 
In a similar way, Noach didn't want to leave the boat. He didn't want to leave. Hashem had to tell him, go out of the boat. He's saying, why, why does Hashem tell him go out of the boat? He's in prison for a year. He, of course he wants to go out of the boat. He doesn't want to go out. Why doesn't he want to go out? Because it's beautiful. It's an oasis. It's wonderful. It's a taste of Mashiach. And yet, he's needed for something. He's called him to do something. He's not allowed to stay into this beautiful <laughs> oasis of love and kindness. He has, to go, he has to go out. In a similar way, all of us are called on to go out of the synagogue and do other things. I heard an unbelievable teaching this week of the Urachaim. Urachaim has a book which is not so famous. Oh, you're Urachaim. I want I to tell this to you, Vitali. There's a book of the Urachaim that you never heard of. Why didn't you hear of it? Because Urachaim writes at the beginning of this book, you can only learn this book if you learn, if you learn Torah for the right reasons. Otherwise, don't learn the book. So it lost its popularity because he, he put it like a, you know, a, a, a called Chefetz Bracha, his book on the Talmud. You know the, about his book on the Talmud? He, book, he wrote a book on the Talmud called Chefetz Bracha. And in this book, he has a very interesting question. The question is this. At the end of, whenever you finish a book of Gemara, you say a prayer. In the prayer you say, you extol the virtue of studying Torah, and you say, we work and we get reward. And they, those who do not study Torah, they work and they don't get reward. So Rechaim asks, what's the big deal that we get a reward for doing the right thing? And what's the big deal that they don't get a reward for not doing the right thing? What's, what's the Gemara telling us something so novel? We work and we get a reward, they don't work, they don't get a reward. Big deal. So Rechaim says an amazing thing. The, the Gemara is not talking about, it's not comparing those who study Torah those don't study Torah. The Gemara is pairing, comparing two kinds of businessmen. There are, there's one kind of businessman, before he goes out to work, he studies Torah in the morning. Comes back from work, he studies Torah in the evening. So his work, why is he going out to work? Because he has to. Hashem, Hashem wants him to work. Hashem told him to work. Hashem tells us to go to work. But he gets rewarded for working. His work gives, why? Because since he studies Torah in the morning, he studies Torah in the evening, since he studies Torah in the morning, and he studies Torah in the evening, that shows that the whole reason he's stopping to, to learn Torah, because he has to, because Hashem wants him to. But if at the end of the day, you don't st- spend time studying Torah, and just go back and just waste your time, <coughs> so, that, so that means the whole day, you weren't really not studying Torah because you couldn't study Torah, you weren't studying Torah because you weren't interested in studying Torah, because when you finished working, you also didn't study Torah. And that's why the, 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 it says in the, in the um, Gemara, we work and get a reward. Uh, we get a reward not just for studying Torah, we get rewarded for going out and doing business because the fact that you study Torah at the end of the day, that shows the where is your heart, your, your, you, want to be in, in, uh, you want to study Torah all day. This is what Noah realized. Hashem told him you have to leave the ark. You have a mission. Yes, it's wonderful to be in the ark, but you have a mission. And so too Hashem tells us in different ways, in everyone their way, to leave the ark, you have something to do that may not be so comfortable for you. you have to leave what's comfortable and do what Hashem wants you to do. There is, and everyone has a unique thing. They sold a stamp recently for nine and a half million dollars. I promise you, if I would see the stamp on, on Pico Boulevard, and it, I, I, I wouldn't pick it up. I wouldn't pick it up. I pick up the stamp. But it's, why is it so worth so much? Because it's rare. It's a rare stamp. We're all rare. We're all rare, and we have a unique mission. We have to leave the ark. They're being told to leave Israel, to go into Gaza. We have to leave our pettiness and go into ourselves, go into our neshama, and, 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 and listen to the mission of Hashem. Listen to the mission of Hashem and, let, and be united with other people that we haven't united with before. Let go of our differences. With Avish Yisrael, with love, with kindness, with warmth. And this is a secret to victory. This is, a secret to victory. This is, this is how Ahav won his wars, and this is the key to our victory in a miraculous way. Miraculous way means Lenifkin Menu Ish. Makos means that no soldier chas v'shalom passes away chas v'shalom, and no one gets hurt. And the Eibush brings us to the, the emissary true good of the coming Mashiach.